This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. This is the 2023 Australian Open Preview. Don't, doesn't this feel great? Isn't this a fantastic feeling of anticipation and excitement as we start 2023 off with a bang as we do every single year at the Happy Slam in Melbourne? I love it. If you're new to the channel, I am going to break this draw down quarter by quarter, giving you all the top seeds, giving you a dark horse, which is an unseeded player most likely to make a run, an upset alert, which is a seeded player most likely to lose early, a popcorn match, which is a first or second round match that I believe everybody should watch and be very excited about, and finally, a quarterfinal prediction, um, and then after I just run through those, I'll give some uh, some general thoughts on the quarter. All right. Uh, any general thoughts? Okay. Court speed. This is quick. Uh, I actually think it's more about the ball than it is the surface itself. Maybe it's both, but we've seen throughout this entire two-week Australian swing, if you want to even call it that, that the Australian Open Dunlop tennis ball plays really light and fast through the air, and uh, it makes for quick conditions. So we've kind of reached a point where the Australian Open and the U.S. Open, they're not that different anymore. You know, the U.S. Open used to be slow, the Aussie used to be fast, and now they're both pretty fast, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's reasonable. None of them are like at Turin level where nobody can break serve. Uh, the other thing I want to mention just before we get into the first quarter, which is Rafael Nadal's quarter, is that everybody's fresh this time of year, and I think we just see less upsets. Now, there's a smaller sample size of matches, so, you know, guys change over the offseason, and there are, in some ways, you know, it's more difficult to make predictions because you don't really have any results to go off of. In many cases, 
guys have played one or two matches. So you just don't really know what they're going to look like for the remainder of the year. But that said, if you go year by year by year and you look at Australian Open, you know, men's quarters and men's semifinals, compared to a Wimbledon or a U.S. Open, there are simply less surprises. And I think that's just because guys are healthy and everybody's kind of fresh and in a good place. So the talent, the cream rises to the top, to use a cliche. All right, there's our beautiful thumbnail. And let's go to Rafael Nadal's quarter. Top seeds are Nadal, Medvedev, Hercoc, Tiafo, Hachinov, Shapovalov, Korda, Nishioka. I feel like this is going to be the most exciting quarter to watch play out if I had to choose one. My dark horse here, I have two of them, and I'm going to have a lot of, I think I have a lot of dark horses uh, for the Australian Open, more than usual, because again, there's a lot of players who I feel like just have a lot of potential in my mind at this time of year, because there hasn't been any time for them to either A, get seated, or B, prove to me that I'm too high on them and they aren't dark horses. Anyway, uh, Marc-Andrea Hussler, who uh, won Sofia last year on the indoor hard courts. He is uh, a left-hander with a big serve, a good forehand who likes to come forward. He's on the bottom half of the draw, right? Uh, a potential second-round opponent for Medvedev. And uh, I think he's pretty scary. Medvedev's good against lefties with the fantastic backhand. Uh, but I think Hussler is a dark horse here. Uh, the second dark horse is Brandon Nakashima. Uh, we are going to get to Nadal's kind of section of the draw with uh, with Draper and Nakashima. Uh, but I was kind of going back and forth between Draper and Nakashima. I'm like, all right, Gil, you can't choose three dark horses. So uh, I picked Nakashima mostly because he is the... He doesn't have to play Nadal or Draper in the first round. So that's a, a huge advantage uh, for a dark horse in Nakashima. Uh, Mackie McDonald in the first round for Brandon. But uh, this is a young player who has very, very few holes in his game. The biggest thing is probably that his forehand is not elite. He's got a really good backhand, uh, which helps against the lefties that he would face in the, you know, the heavy topspin forehand lefties that he would face in the second round. Granted, Nadal's forehand is a lot better than Draper's. So Nakashima, who won the next-gen finals at the end of last year, which, by the way, has historically meant that they're going to go on a huge Australian Open run. I mean, Tsitsipas did that. Chung did that. And there might be other examples that I'm missing. Nakashima, no-brainer here for a dark horse. Upset alert, I have Hercoc and Nadal. Uh, for Nadal, I'm going to get into it in more depth. I mean, it's the draw. It's the draw. There's, uh, the, I, I did not know coming into this tournament that I would put Nadal on upset alert. I know that he's 0-2. I know that he's lost something crazy, like 7 out of his last... I, I should have the number exactly, and I'm going off of secondhand, but what, he's lost something like 7 out of his last 9? Uh, you know, really, really kind of a damning number or uh, something along those lines. And then Hercoc. Hercoc is in his head at these majors. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And when Hubie gets in his head, here's the problem. He plays a lot of close matches. That's just the nature of the beast with him and his, as a player. He's a, a huge server, but he's not a great baseliner. 
So good players are able to hold serve against Turkoc, and you end up playing tie breaks. And, man, it's just over and over again. Herkoc is just not coming through under pressure at majors because I think he is feeling a lot of pressure. I don't know how else to put it or what other words to use. He's feeling a ton of pressure at these majors because he has not performed. He had that one run at Wimbledon. He made the, the Wimbledon semifinal. I don't think he's been past the third round at a hard court major. In fact, I'm positive he has not been past a third round at a hard court major. Uh, Draw-wise, for Hercot, he's got Pedro Martinez. That's pretty favorable. But uh, in the second round, he could play Lorenzo Sinego, who is uh, not favorable. That That's a, a borderline top 30 player. And someone who beat Hercot last fall, I think it was Mets. I think he's beaten him twice. Good and best of five, relatively. Sinego. Nuno Borges, potentially. Borges is a good ball striker, but I don't know. I think Sinego will win. So that's that. Those are the upset alerts. Early popcorn matches, Nadal versus Draper in round one. Kind of a no-brainer here. That's an enormous match. I can't wait to watch that match. I'm going to talk more about it in a moment. Before I do that, let me reveal my quarterfinal. My quarterfinal here is Daniil Medvedev defeating Rafael Nadal. All right, a couple of things here. Let's start with Nadal, who I have on upset alert, but ultimately I do not think is going to be upset. Uh, you got to understand, I have to explain this sometimes, that just because a player is on upset alert, that just means I I, I think they're in danger in the first two rounds. Uh, that doesn't mean I am picking the upset. Um, you know, in some cases I am, in which case I usually say so. Anyway, uh, Let's just talk about this quarter in general. Here's my outlook on Nadal. I don't think he played that badly at United Cup, but I have two major concerns. The serve, which just has to be better. It has to be better or he's going to lose. And the confidence. And I think the confidence doesn't come into play until Nadal plays a really, really great opponent and he's pushed kind of deep into tight scoreboard situations and he he needs to play he needs to execute offensive tennis that's where the confidence comes into play i don't think that nadal as we saw last year at the us open goes into a first round match against a guy like rinky hijikata or plays a guy like richard gasquet i don't think the confidence comes into play there he's fine uh but it's when he's getting pushed and he's in trouble and there's adversity and he needs to go after his shots. That's where that matters. So those are my concerns. But I kind of talk myself into picking Nadal both against Draper and Nakashima. Uh, Draper, tactically, forehand to forehand, I, I really like Nadal there. I just think Draper's cross-court forehand um, to Nadal's forehand, I really like Nadal in that pattern. I just think Nadal's forehand is bigger and more penetrating, and I think he goes down the line better. So I really like that pattern. If Draper keeps winning in Adelaide, oh, sorry, Auckland, that is not good for Jack. Now, it might be good for his career. Like, if he wins a title, I always say this. It's good for a player's career to win, a, a young player to win titles, period. But is that good for the Nadal match? No, it means he has to travel on on a Sunday. I'm not sure if that match is going to be Monday or Tuesday. 
in Australia, but it means he needs to travel on a Sunday and maybe practice once in Melbourne, if that, and you have the fatigue factor. Like, look what happened to Kokonakis last year. Um, he won Adelaide, lost first round at the Australian Open. Look what happened to Sinner a couple years ago. He won Adelaide and he lost first round at the Australian Open. It's it's not good to go deep the week before a major. Look at the look at how Winston Salem champions do at the U.S. Open. It's not good. So that's something to keep in mind with Draper. The other thing is intangibles. Look, I think Draper, I think Draper has handled big matches super, super, super well. Uh, Djokovic center court at Wimbledon, you know, as a young British kid to play the first match on center court and he wins the first set. That impressed me. He has big wins. Tsitsipas in Canada, Felix at the US Open. It's impressive. Um, so look, I, I really like the kid mentally, but from an intangibles perspective, like this is a little bit different. This is Nadal, who's his idol, Rod Laver Arena, best of five sets. Intangibles-wise, I still like Nadal. Then Nakashima. Nakashima is an American with a good backhand. Americans with good backhands just keep beating Nadal. Uh, why can't I like actually pull the trigger on this upset? Nakashima's 0-5 against top 10 players, 2-11 versus top 20 players in his career. Look, that stuff's going to change. Nakashima's... I have a lot of faith in him as a player, and you know I think he's going to... Um, do a lot of really great things. But, you know, right now, am I ready to pull the trigger on that? No. Uh, I ultimately think Nadal's going to have a good level here. But I think he will get broken down by these battles um, at a certain point. In the uh, in the bottom eighth, and let me make a quick point about Draper and Nakashima. Both of them, I would be stunned if they're not both seated by the U.S. Open. If not Wimbledon. I think they're both seated by Wimbledon uh, or the U.S. Open. And that's why this draw is so awful for Nadal because these guys are probably both top 30 players and they're just not there yet in the rankings. It's tough. All right. Um, bottom eighth, Nadal will probably have to play Tiafo. I'm sure you know it'd be more favorable for him to play uh, Hachinov. You have Oscar Atta in here. He's kind of tricky but out of form. Kubler is another candidate to come out of that bottom eighth if it's not going to be hatching off for Tiafo. Uh, Kubler's talented. He's an Aussie. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. No more comments. Let's go to Medvedev's half. Uh, Giron is going to be kind of a grind fest to open. I mentioned Hustler's kind of dangerous, but uh, I don't think his forehand is really consistent enough at this point in time. Corda uh, is also in the area as a seeded player. I don't really trust Corda. At this time, I, I think he's dangerous, but I also think he's kind of upset-prone uh, because of his up-and-down ground-stroke consistency. I'll put it that way. Uh, now, in the bottom half, you have a lot of interesting things, or the bottom eighth of this quarter. You have a lot of interesting things going on with matchups. Hercotch is on upset alert for me. I kind of think that Sinego clips him. I kind of feel that way, but if he doesn't, uh, Shapovalov, Hercotch, that's a good matchup for for Hercotch um, because he has all that pace to work with and he can just counterpunch, which is what he's good at and what he wants to do, and Shapovalov's return of serve isn't great. So that's a good matchup. And then Medvedev, Hercotch, 
Oh boy, we could get Medvedev Hurkacz in the fourth round. It's a terrible matchup for Daniil. Daniil has never beaten Hubert Hurkacz comfortably. In his career, he has never beaten Hurkacz comfortably. Um, and uh, what's the overall head-to-head? -head? I think it's 3-2 Hubie. Uh, Hurkacz got him at, at Wimbledon. So uh, it's really rough. Really rough. But ultimately, I think that's a lot to go right for Hurkacz. To avoid the upset, to beat Chapo, to beat Medvedev. Don't really see it um, with... I don't have that faith in Hurkacz at all right now, actually. Like mentally, with the forehand. So ultimately, I have Medvedev coming away with this. Uh, I think he matches up really well with Korda. I think he matches up very well with Shapovalov. Again, these are two guys who they don't have awesome, you know, they don't have amazing speed and they don't, or they don't have amazing defense. Shapo's actually really fast. They don't have amazing defense and they don't have amazing net play. Although Shapovalov can be kind of tricky, I think, with his net play. Korda's got good volleys, but he doesn't come up too often. So, you know, that kind of erases that. All right, enough blabbering on the first quarter. Um, I'm probably going to go quicker for the remainder of this, but I wanted to go really in-depth because, again, this is the most exciting quarter. This is the highest quality quarter. Uh, you can make an argument for more guys making the semis in this quarter than you can any other. You have an argument for Nadal, Medvedev, Hercoc, Tiafo, who I didn't really even cover here. Uh, Shapovalov, and Korda, which is pretty incredible. And then you have two of the best unseeded players, in my opinion, in Hoosler, Nakashima, and Draper. I just think quarters don't get much better than this, honestly. And Medvedev's eighth is even stronger than Nadal's eighth. That's how good it is. Wow. Uh, can't wait. As I said, though, I won't I won't go that long on all the quarters. Stefano Tsitsipas's quarter... The top seeds are Tsitsipas, FAA, Nori, Sinner, Musetti, Chorich, Sarundalo, and Botik van de Zanskulp, BVDZ, as I have it abbreviated in the graphic. My dark horses here are Yuri Lehechka and Yi Bing Wu. Lehechka is a guy who is young. And, you know, you, you, you never know kind of what's going to happen in the offseason with these young guys coming into Australia. Got to win over Alexander Zverev. I don't think that's the biggest deal in the world, but I think everybody's just in agreement about Lehechka. He's not like this crazy special talent. He's not going to knock your socks off or blow you away, but he's damn solid. He's a good player. He's going to be a top 30 guy. It's just a matter of does he do it this year, next year, maybe the year after, but I, I think by 2020. What are we doing with the math here? I think by, by the start of 2025, Lehechka's top 30. Uh, so yeah, he, he's a dark horse here. Let's see what he got. There's some intrigue there. Uh, Yi Bing Wu is just a crazy ball striker. Takes the ball really, really early. Hits it super clean, especially the return of serve. Uh, and there's just a lot of intrigue with him because the man has not been able to stay healthy in his career at all. But he finally had this run where he was healthy last year, and he just whipped up the Challenger Tour uh, like nobody's business. So I like to have at least one deep cut in these previews. A couple years back, uh, you know, in 2020, I had—no, uh, it was 2021. Uh, in 2021, I had Karatsev. So I like to throw in a Karatsev uh, every year, and, and this year I'm pretty sure the lowest-ranked player I have as a dark horse is Yi Bing Wu. 
upset alert here is Musetti and Botic von de Zanschkulp. Uh Similar things going on here where uh, they're both playing players who struggled last year. Uh, von de Zanschkulp is playing Avashka, who uh, had a lot of health issues and really wasn't good until that U.S. Open fourth round uh, where he almost beat Sinner. And Lloyd Harris, who also got injured and had a nightmare year. But Harris is kind of on the comeback trail, and he actually has some wins under his belt at the challenger level. So he's built up some momentum, which uh, which means something. And he's got really big weapons, a big serve on these you know quick Australian Open hard courts. And Avashka has weapons too, a good first serve, a really bad second serve. Uh, but we'll ignore that and talk about how he takes the ball really early and is ruthlessly aggressive off of both wings. So, you know, you have a guy in Musetti and Von de Zanschkulp. It's not that I'm down on them. I just think they have dangerous opponents, and uh, I prefer both of them on slower surfaces. So they are both on upset alert. My early popcorn match is Stefano Tsitsipas versus Kentin Alice. If I did not do that name well, I am sorry. I'm really bad at French names. I'm just bad at them. I'm. I think I pronounce... You know, names better than most in tennis media. But uh, I think it's Kentin Alice. Anyway. I think this is dangerous. Very, very, very dangerous. Now, I didn't want to put Alice as a dark horse because I couldn't see him with the fatigue factor and the, you know, the way he kind of plays his tennis. I don't know. I don't. Maybe he should have been a dark horse, but I decided to go with Lahechka and, and Yibing Wu and put this as early popcorn because while I favored Tsitsipas, I think this is terrifying for Stefanos, and I will have a close eye on this match. Alice's ace rate to start this year is 24.6%. He's literally hitting aces on a quarter of his points. That would have ranked first on tour if he did that throughout the 2022 season. Uh, that is higher than John freaking Isner. I mentioned the only time Stefanos, did I mention this? Maybe I didn't say this. The only time Pass since he's gotten good, has been upset at the Australian Open was when he played Milos Raonic in the third round. And in general, when I look at Pass on a quick hard court that he plays well on, I'm just looking at, for big servers. And if there's no big servers, I really like Pass. I really like him. If he can just get into the points, if he can get his return in play, uh, I, I love his serve plus one game. Alice is that huge server that should just really terrify a Stefano Tsitsipas fan. And uh, yeah, I, I, that's an early popcorn match because I think it could be very, very interesting. With that being said, and this is probably why I didn't put this on upset alert or dark horse, I have Tsitsipas getting out of this quarter Defeating Cam Nori. Um, let's kind of get into this a little bit in terms of uh, everything in general. Um, Tsitsipas, um, after Alice, things things aren't so bad. I mean, Avashka, potentially Vanda Zanchkult. Sinner, Sinner is here, and he has a nice draw. And a potential fun one with Musetti if he avoids the upset. But it was really discouraging to see him get injured again at Adelaide 1. And 
I'm going to have some big predictions for Sinner coming up in the future in 2023. This just doesn't feel like the moment. On an ultra-quick court, um, after that injury, I'm just not feeling it right now. Defending quarterfinal points, not that that matters. I don't know. Not going for Sinner after seeing him get injured again. Just not awesome. Um, not a lot of great unseeded players in this section with Tsitsipas, so I don't really want to talk about anyone else. Uh, Chorich Lahechka, round one. That's an interesting one. That's really the runner-up. I probably should have included that as a popcorn match. Um, but I like Nori here. Uh, for Felix, who is really the favorite to come out of the bottom section, not Nori. Uh, he's got Pospisil in round one. And, like, I see Pospisil as exactly like the guy who Felix just lost to. Felix just lost to Alexi Popperin. He's a serve forehand guy. Uh, do I think Pospisil is quite as good as Popperin right now? No. But Pospisil is another guy who's kind of building some momentum, um, albeit on the lower levels. And he's got a big game. It's kind of uncomfortable for FAA to open his season. And then Molchan Vavrinka. Molchan's been horrendous. So I think Stan will win that one. Vavrinka early in the year when his body's fresh. I wouldn't want that. Like, I don't think that's comfortable for Felix. Although the return, the the block returns against Felix. I don't know how that's going to play out um, for, for uh, Vavrinka. That's not a great return strategy against FAA. You really want to rush him on that plus one. Um, so look, I have FAA getting through, but I don't really trust him. Um, I don't trust him all that much right now outdoors after two defeats in a row early at majors. Yeah, the draws weren't great. He lost to Cressy and he lost to Draper. I think he's going to make it to Nori. Nori's an interesting one. The head-to-head -head suggests that Felix actually plays Cam really well. I think Nori's only beaten him once in recent history. Uh, but, you know, I, I just don't... I like the way Nori is playing right now, and I could see him getting it to Felix's backhand often in the matchup and having some success. I wouldn't sleep on Nori. Like, he's just blowing me away at the moment. And you might say, okay, like, what about that thing about Auckland and him playing before? The problem is Nori just doesn't get tired. And let me be very clear. I think when you go deep the week before a major... It hurts you in your first couple matches. It doesn't hurt you down the road necessarily, especially if you're like Cam Nori and you're a fitness monster. And uh, Nori has, uh, you know, Luca Van Asch, French, you know, reciprocal wild card in the first round, Montero or Lestienne in the second round. Um, I really like Nori's draw. So um, that is that. That is that. I like Tsitsipas to get through. If Tsitsipas gets picked off, uh, I would say Nori or if healthy, Sinner. Let us go now to Novak Djokovic's quarter. The top seeds are Djokovic, Rublev, Runa, Karenia Busta, Nick Kyrgios, Alex Dimonor, Dan Evans, and Grigor Dimitrov. My dark horse is here. Oh, I only have one. It's Maxime Cressy. I really didn't feel good about anyone in this quarter as far as dark horses are concerned. So I just went with Cressy, who's a wild card and played great in Australia last year. 
And, you know, these are conditions that Cressy can hold serve a lot in, but I don't feel very strongly about that. That was kind of an I-don't-know-who-to-pick selection uh, in the dark horse spot. Um, who does he have? Cressy has... Uh, Ramos Vinolas, that's a good first round for him. And uh, then uh, potentially Holger Runa, who I will talk about in a moment. Uh, my upset alert is Nick Kyrgios. Let's talk about it. I think this is an awful spot for Nick. Uh, the biggest thing is that he hasn't been able to play any of the lead-ups, which suggests that he has been, you know, because he's been injured. And as a result, I question how much has he been training uh, the last couple weeks. So that's never good, right? When you pull out back-to-back -back weeks in the lead-up to this Aussie, uh, I don't love that, and I don't subscribe to the idea that, oh, Gil, like, Nick never trains, so what's the difference this time? No. The reason Nick Kyrgios was able to do what he did last year and not wear down in majors like he always did every other year before then is because he actually got his body ready because he worked harder. So what have the last couple of weeks been like for Kyrgios? That's my first question. But even more significant is the pressure. The attention that's on Nick Kyrgios right now coming into this Australian Open is probably the most it's ever been after the year he had last year. And in his home country, being that, you know, top, top billing kind of uh, guy... I think there's a lot of stress for Nick Kyrgios here, especially because he cares now. He actually wants to win. So it matters to him, or it matters at least at this point now, how much expectation there is on Nick. And I think he's gone from like a underdog, you know, they're doubting me. They still don't believe in me 2022 to everyone's like, all right, Nick, like you're supposed to do really well here at this year's Australian Open. Let's see what you got. And then you have the Netflix doc. And I do not like that distraction for Kyrgios because it's all Nick can talk about on social media. He cares deeply about the way he's perceived. And this thing's going to come out and it's a distraction. It's a huge distraction for Nick Kyrgios because he thinks he's going to be the next Daniel Ricardo. You know, he thinks he's about to become uh, a movie star. I don't love it. I just don't love it. Not to mention the fact that if there's a, a lingering physical issue, Kyrgios just does not do well when he's in pain on court. He doesn't fight through it well. He he goes crazy. He does not fight through pain. You know, I've just I've seen that before. I've seen the movie before, and it's it's not a it's not a great movie for Nick. Early popcorn is Andre Rublev versus Dominic Team. Uh, that right there is a no brainer. Uh, let's see how team fares. His only competitive match this year was in qualifying, and he lost real bad to Sun Wu Kwan. I have been impressed with Kwan's play, serving really, really big for a five foot eleven guy. It's pretty mind blowing, but ultimately that's a pretty concerning result, and that's far more that's far more important than what team has done in exhibitions. Please, 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 please don't pay attention to exhibitions. Uh, or you're just going to get fooled over and over and over again because they don't matter. They have no bearing. And uh, unfortunately, I, I still see people covering this sport and going off of exhibition results. You're, you're just going to look like a fool every time. 
I think Rublev gets through that. Rublev usually plays team very, very well. I think, you know, the way he takes a lot of time away from Dominic and hugs the baseline, I think team feels rather suffocated, generally speaking, when he plays Rublev because of all the time that Andre takes away. Quarterfinal prediction. And the intrigue here is really in the top half where you have Rublev, Runa, Kyrgios, I got Djokovic over Andre Rublev. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the pick that most people probably are going to go with Kyrgios or Runa because those guys are more dangerous than Rublev and I I could not agree more. I mean, they are more dangerous than Rublev. Here's what they're not. They're not more reliable than Rublev. They're not more consistent than Rublev. They're not more experienced than Rublev. Andre's a quarterfinal machine. You know, he's been to six major quarterfinals. Uh, the guy gets there. And do I love his draw? Not really. Uh, he's got team and then Rusevori and then Dan Evans, which always feels like a toss-up match. He He's horrible against Dan Evans. Um, it's like, I think, career head-to-head. Maybe three and three, maybe four and four, whatever it is, it's tied. Um, but you guys know that I'm down on Nick Kyrgios, upset alert. And then Holger Runa. Look, Runa, I have him get into the fourth round here. And then I just feel like consistency-wise, Rublev in that kind of slugfest setting, I feel like he can control his errors better than Runa. Um Ultimately, though, like, I don't know what we're going to see from Holger. I have no idea here. Uh, he, again, he's a 19-year-old. This is only the second time he's been seated at a slam, right? Last time he was a 28 seed at the U.S. Open on a losing streak. Nobody was paying any attention to him. Now, like, he's got some real expectation, and he's got to deal with it for the first time, best of five, as the number 11 seed, like, without really wins under his belt. It's one thing if you have a lot of expectation on your shoulders, and but you have a lot of kind of confidence. You have recent results. And let's be very, very, very clear. Holger Runa does not have that from a month and a half ago, from six, seven weeks ago. Guys, that's gone. That's not how tennis works. You don't maintain confidence and feeling in tennis from what happened six weeks ago. Confidence is about what happened like literally on the last shot or yesterday or last week. And then the more and more time goes by, the weaker those sensations of what you felt, the the less those things stay with you. So Runa comes in 0-1 in 2023, a 19-year-old top top 15 seed for the first time in his career. I don't know what we're going to get from him. So that's why I'm just going with Rublev. The guy who like, I I know what we're going to get. And I know Andre hasn't been good to start the year, but that's why I, I, I go with Rublev. I default to Rublev. And um, it, I, I'd be lying if I told you it wasn't a, a tough decision between those three though. Novak wants to see Rublev. Let's talk about Djokovic's draw. Uh, before we move on, uh, I think it's just incredible. I mean, you look at the seeds here, and well, first you look at the first two rounds. Carbias Baena, clay court player with no weapons, 
who I love, by the way. M massive respect. Uh, tremendous. I even like watching him because he works so hard um, and is so good at defense on clay. Uh, anyway, uh, Delian, who's also a clay quarter, more offensive, big forehand, but a total clay quarter, and a, a really a backhand that's going to be exposed in this kind of matchup. Uh, or I don't know who the qualifier lucky loser who was placed there. My apologies. I know that I know that it was placed. Uh, but then you look at the seeds. Dimitrov, Dimonor, Karenio Busta. There's just... The weapons aren't there to, to trouble Djokovic. You have like... You have some players with with good fitness and, and shot tolerance in Demon and PCB. But uh, this isn't the surface for that. If this were a slow hard court, you could see a guy like Karenia Busta being a very tough matchup for Djokovic. But this is too quick. This is about, you know, first serve, offensive forehands, finishing at net. Like in these areas, there's just nobody who's really going to take it to Novak like Novak can take it to his opponent. So it's a dream draw, especially if it's Rublev in that quarterfinal which is what I have. It's a really, really great draw for Novak. Kasparud, the number two seed, with a chance to become world number one, along with Tsitsipas and Djokovic. Uh, top seeds here are Rude, Taylor Fritz, Alexander Zverev, Matteo Berrettini, Diego Schwartzman, Roberto Bautista Agut, Miamir Katsmanovic, and Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Oops, didn't mean to show you guys my face there. My dark horse, Nicholas Jari and Jan Lennard Struff. We got we're going with weapons. We're going with weapons, people. You see the theme here with the dark horses? Like, I think if an unseated player is gonna make some noise and mess some crap up, which is my censored version of what I really wanted to say, uh, you know, it's gonna be guys like this who Similar to what I talked about with like a Lloyd Harris of the world. You have an offseason now to turn the page. I mean, Yari got suspended for, for drugs, for performance-enhancing drugs. And now he's kind of on the comeback trail. And he really struggled last year. But uh, he's very erratic. He hits the ball huge, though. He makes you uncomfortable. And Struff is, uh, look, he's still a powerful player. He's not that old. So it's not like I think Struff is like, completely over the hill, and he's never going to be a good player again. Uh, he's going to get there at some point. So you don't want to play these guys. And draw-wise, um, Stroof, Stroof, Stroof. I should, like, highlight these guys on my draw. I'm sorry. Uh, where, the, where, the, where the heck are these guys? Oh. Oh, my God. I'm so dumb. They qualified. I'm looking at a draw... I'm looking at a draw where the qualifiers are not in there. And I put two qualifiers as my dark horse. And then I can't find them. All right. I mean, guys, I have been working uh, for like 48 hours straight here besides sleep. And I can't wait to get this posted and to vegetate on the couch for until Sunday. Man, I can't wait. All right. Yari and Struf. Um Let's just let's just move on here. Upset alert is Kasparud. Um, I watched both of Rude's matches at United Cup, and maybe I'm a total sucker for overreacting to you know two matches, first two matches of the year. Maybe I'm a total sucker, but I I hated how Rude played 
against Berrettini and even against Tiago Montero. Um, I Montero, you'll look at the scoreline and it looks like Rude won comfortably, but I'm telling you that it, it wasn't because of anything Rude did. Uh, way too defensive in the court position, not doing enough with his backhand, leaving it in the middle of the court, not returning serve uh, with enough, um, you know, neutralizing quality. So I watched those two matches and I just didn't like what I saw. And now you're looking at Tomas Mahach first round. I guess he's healthy. I thought he got a bad injury at United Cup. I guess he's healthy. A quality young player who had his career best year at the challenger level, who has a big forehand, whose best surface is hard courts by a mile. Jensen Brooksby, don't really need to tell you guys that much about Jensen Brooksby. You know him. He's a funky, weird, and awkward opponent. And I think he's at his best. Um, probably beginning of the year when he's fresh physically, um, and on hard court. He's but and he needs fast surfaces. He, awful, awful in slow conditions, Brooksby. Uh, so this is quick enough for him too. And uh, he's looked pretty good this week in uh, in Auckland, Auckland, right? Yeah, Auckland. Um, okay. Then you have like Tommy Paul or Alexander Bublik or Davidovich Fakina. I mean. Bublik's got the big serve, although his effort has been atrocious recently. Um, Davidovich Fakina is really talented and has beaten Kasparud. Tommy Paul has an awesome backhand. Really good, uh, really good athlete, obviously. And uh, they went five sets at the U.S. Open. And you know what? People don't talk about that enough. Tommy Paul, Kasparud, they go five sets, and why? And Tommy Paul did not lose that match because he was out tennised. He lost that match because because he went five sets with Bernabe Zapata Marias in the first round. Then he had to go five sets in the second round uh, against Cora, uh, right? And now in his third straight five setter, he had nothing left. Uh, really, the reason. The reason Tommy Paul lost to Rude, maybe he would have lost anyway, is because of the Zapata Marias match, which shouldn't have gone five sets. So uh, Rude's got a bad draw. I didn't like his level. There's a lot of pressure. He could be world number one, and now he's no longer like this hardcore underdog. Um, you know, he made the Miami final, the U.S. Open final, the ATP final, final. Uh, this is where I think we see Rude just have a letdown. A letdown. So, upset alert, Casper Rude. Quarterfinal, Fritz defeats Matteo Berrettini. Um, this is an incredible section for Fritz. Just perfect draw. Uh, Ketsmanovic has been decent, solid, but against top players, the last time he's looked dangerous against good players was last March, almost a year ago. Not quite, uh, but last March, Sunshine Double. Since then, every time he's run up against a top opponent, he's gone away pretty quietly. Schwartzman, I don't know if he's going to—I mean, he got injured. He can't win a match. It, it's it's ugly. Zverev, we don't know what we're going to get from him. I mean, the Zverev-Schwartzman section is by far the weakest— little eighth in the entire draw. Who knows what's going to happen there? I mean, I guess maybe Zverev comes out of it, um, but I don't think Zverev's ready to challenge Taylor Fritz right now. That's for sure. And uh, then we have down the road, 
Uh, I think Berrettini with Rude getting upset. I feel like Berrettini will be the beneficiary of that. Mateo had just this, you know, stop, start, stop, start year last year. And it looks like he's going to get back on track. I still think it's the same old thing with Berrettini where there's a ceiling to how good he can be and how threatening he can be against the top players. Uh, but he's very good in best of five. Love the mental game. Doesn't throw in a lot of terrible matches. Man is reliable. He he beat Kasparud already on, you know, in essentially these same conditions. So I like Berrettini to play Fritz. Now, Fritz has a 3-0 head-to-head against Berrettini. I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, the reason why it's 3-0 is because all three times Fritz and Berrettini have played, it has been when uh, Taylor Fritz... Um, it has been fall of 2021 and forward. And since the fall of 2021, Taylor Fritz has been playing at a top 10 level. And Matteo Berrettini, I don't think has been as good as Taylor Fritz since then. So I don't think it's like a matchup nightmare or anything. I just think Fritz has been better. And Taylor is more mobile from the from the back of the court. He's got a way better backhand. It makes him better than neutral baseline rallies. And the the gap between Fritz's first serve and Berrettini's first serve, yeah, Mateo's is better. But is it the same? Is that gap as large as the gap that exists between Fritz and Berrettini in rallies? No, I, I don't think. I, I don't think it is. I think the gap between the serves is closer than the gap between the ground strokes um, and the the really I should say the the neutral baselining. So I like Fritz here, and I like him a lot. I like him a lot. I'm I'm pretty confident that that Fritz makes the semifinal here. To be completely honest with you guys, that'll be all for the quarter by quarter section of the preview. Let's get to this final weekend, revealing in three, two, one. Tsitsipas defeats Medvedev in four. Djokovic takes out Fritz in four. And Djokovic beats Tsitsipas in three. I know you guys will want me to like dissect these head-to-heads in detail. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I'm probably wasting my time because in you know chances are I'm wrong on these. Um, but it pretty much goes like this. I love the way Tsitsipas has played Medvedev the last two times they've played on a hard court. I just think the tactics have been perfect and the the head to head has actually looked like it might be skewed towards Steph uh with his speed and his net rushing two things that traditionally bothered Daniil a whole lot Djokovic over Fritz uh I made that four sets because I really respect Fritz's compete and competitiveness I think that mentally in a in a match like this he would show up and really be engaged every single set, but he's not on the same level as Novak, and I don't really think I need to go much further than that. And then Djokovic over Tsitsipas, we've seen Novak beat Stefanos uh, nine times in a row, and if Tsitsipas is going to beat Novak, God, he, he'll want slower conditions than this. He'll want conditions where he can um, handle the spot serving, of Novak a little bit better, get into a lot of rallies, use his physicality, and uh, hit less backhands, use the runaround more. 
I mean, man, the way Novak dissects Stefanos, all of that stuff is going to work in these conditions. So uh, Djokovic defeats Tsitsipas in three sets. So ultimately, let's finish on this. Um, the way I have this playing out is a dream situation for Djokovic. And look, in all likelihood, it's going to be tougher than this. In all likelihood, I'm going to get this wrong somewhere, and Djokovic is going to have to play a Kyrgios or a Runa. But look, um, right now, I have him having to play, face Demonor, Rublev, Fritz, Tsitsipas. Man, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. And Novak, the way he's looking revenge on his mind or, or it's not revenge it's just redemption on his mind um should be dangerous uh the hamstring i'm not really worried about it like at the end of the day he played that adelaide final he is practicing and i just think he's being very very cautious as he should be and this is something that'll probably go away it's a little bit sketchy that as soon as he parted ways with his physio uli He's having something like this, which is something that you rarely see from Novak. Uh, it's a little sketchy, but at the end of the day, it's probably nothing. So I have Djokovic winning a 10th Australian Open title. Uh, please do hit the subscribe button. If you haven't, please do become a member if you're so inclined. Um, it is a donation of $2 a month to support the channel. I remember I'm available um, on Spotify and iTunes. And uh, leave a review on iTunes if you are listening via that platform. It is a huge, huge help. Um, share this with your friends. Uh, I say all of these things because uh, this is an important time to grow the channel right before a major. Uh, so those of you who support me, and um, I appreciate all of you, uh, that is why um, when you do those things, it is a huge, huge help at a time like this right before the Australian Open at the beginning of the season. Enjoy, everybody. I'll have plenty of coverage. Looking forward to it. Um, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.